0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So, man, a little bit earlier this morning, uh, I was preparing really my heart to come uh, to join you in worship. And I was reading in the book of Exodus, and you guys know the story maybe of the book of Exodus, but I'll tell you real quickly, you know, the people of God are kind of having to run from Pharaoh, and they come to the Red Sea, and God supernaturally helps them get across there. They're kind of wandering around in the wilderness. They get kind of thirsty, start complaining. God provides for them, and then they kind of get hungry, and then God kind of provides for them, and it's a story of them complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt, but Moses, their leader, said, "Hey, we're going to get to the Promised Land. Just keep hanging in there." And then I don't know if you remember that. Then there's a story that I think most people in the room, even if you didn't know the backstory, would have maybe have heard of the story of the Ten Commandments, right? And so, uh, what's interesting is is before uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, God says, "Hey, uh, Moses, I need you to go tell the people um, that man they're going to meet with me." And so he he says to Moses like tell the people man to prepare themselves and to sanctify themselves because on the third day man I'm going to I'm going to meet with them I'm going to come down on top of this mountain and it probably behoove everybody uh, not any animal not any man not anybody even get near or even touch this mountain because if they do they're going to die because I'm going to show up. And what's interesting is the people Uh, say to Moses, man, Moses, we'd rather hear from you than we'd rather hear from God. (laughs) Because they realized how holy God was and they realized how sinful they had been. So they were hoping that Moses would just take their hearts and and present them to God. And isn't that what what a priest does, right? The priest takes the people of God and represents them to God. But then immediately God says, well, Moses, I've heard what you say they want me to hear. Now I want you to tell them what I have to say. And so Moses, this priest, then represents not only the people to God, but then he takes the God of the universe, and he represents them to the people. It's super interesting, isn't it, that that that's his role. And then the Bible says after he did that, then the Bible says that Moses said, come, for now we will meet with our God. And guys, I'm just telling you my personal devotion life so that, A, you know I have one. (laughs) Uh, but B, just man, what I come to this pulpit with this morning? Uh, like I come here today with this huge, heavy responsibility on my shoulders. That God has asked me to take you to a place where you could meet God. Man, that's heavy. Man, that's heavy. So in my spirit, man, all morning I've just been like, God, and if it wasn't for Christ, I don't, I don't know that this is even possible. I mean, who am I that I could take anyone to meet God? But that's what God's called me to do, and so that's what I'm hoping we're going to do this morning is we're just going to meet with God. Is that okay with you? Can we, can we do that? Just for a few moments, can we just go to his word and just meet with him here? Now, you understand that when you meet with God, here's something that happens. Anytime anybody in the Bible ever had an encounter with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, or God the Son, something changed. And it wasn't God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are you you well aware of that? Um, Are you well aware of that? And and do you realize that when we have a true, authentic encounter with God, we usually end up on our faces? Y'all realize that? So, so like I said, you are ready to meet with God? You're like, yeah, we're all in, but are you sure? Because, <laughs> man, it means something, right? Um, so, man, that's just what's on my heart this morning. That, that was free. It didn't even really get a part of my message. It's just, man, I'm just telling you, I just, just, just desire to take you in to see the Lord Jesus differently than you've ever seen him. And so I was thinking this week, man, have you ever wondered if there's really fair judgment that ever goes on in the world? You know, I mean, I've, I've, wondered, I've wondered that, man. You know, i look at, like, please don't think I'm getting political here for any stretch. But I look at some of the decisions the Supreme Court has made lately, and I'm like, really? Really? They're the Supreme. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know the English language, but when you use the word Supreme, none higher. They're the Supreme Court of our land, and they're making decisions that I'm like, that that's not judgment at all. That's, preference man have you ever wondered if there's really this thing called justice i mean I, I just you probably saw it too on the news this week man this lady who got super high super high and she ends up like stabbing her boyfriend like a hundred times and she gets like probation because the judge is like she was under the influence of marijuana and she wasn't in control of her actions well, how's that justice for the dude who was killed? I'm just curious. You guys ever see this? Like, do you ever, like in Austin, man, we see it all the time. Like, these people, they, they come and they murder people, and the next thing you know, they're just, like, cleaning the street for three hours. And you're like, that's it? That's, that's justice? You ever wondered about that? Am I the only person that wonders? To have anybody be willing to just raise your hand and say, Steve, I get you. Anybody? Okay, I just making sure I knew who I was preaching to this morning. Um, how about this, man? Have you ever, down deep inside of your heart, really said, when are the wrongs that have ever been done to me, when are they ever really going to be made right? Man, I've got family members that have been abused, and I know that when I, when I sit and talk with them, that's one of the questions they say. Because here's usually what happens, right, in abusive situations. And if this is you, I'm not shaming you. I want you to understand. I understand how you feel. But typically, they're afraid to turn in their abuser. And so then their abuser gets to go on and on and on. And then later on in life, when they're older and that person's much older and ready to die, they're like, well, we might as well not bring it up now. And it's like that person never had to pay. And justice was never done. And they're just living in that. You ever wondered, man, is, are the wrongs ever really going to be made right? Is it something that's in your soul? Um, and then, you know, isn't it weird that even in our judicial system, you can wait for years before you're ever punished? Like, justice sometimes it takes a long time to you. Like, why can't some justice just be immediate? I think that's why some people take the law into their own hands, right? Because you're like, I'm not gonna wait. Right? I'm just gonna do this thing. We're gonna get this over. But but justice seems to take really a long time. And then here's the other thing that inside of my soul I began to really question is, is man, is there ever gonna be a permanent solution to all this? I mean, we're just going to have to endure unfair judgment, a sense of justice never coming, the sense that, that maybe my, my wrongs will never be made right. Is, is there ever going to be a permanent solution to it all, or is this just something we're going to have to endure forever? If you've ever debated those things, and man, I've got, I just got some really good news for you today. Not to sound coy or cliche, but but Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, judgment's going to come. And when judgment comes, you can bet your bottom dollar justice is coming with it. And when justice comes, it's because Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, then it's all going to be over. And we will experience joy like we've never known it before. And we'll never have to worry about injustice again. Isn't that a good word? I mean, that, that's, that's, that ought to get you up this morning. I mean, you ought to, we ought to take up another offering right there. I and mean, that's preaching without preaching, Frog. That's what that is. So so here's what I've been telling you in Daniel chapter 7, if you've been paying attention. The king is coming, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to be crowned as king of kings. And when he he does that, when when that happens, when Jesus comes and, and he's crowned as king, some things are going to happen. And we looked at that. We started this journey last week. So I'm going to be reading this morning out of Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 9 through 14 just one more time. So... If you have a copy of God's word, you can bust that bad boy open to Daniel chapter seven, looking at verse nine. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there's some in the seat pockets underneath the chairs, maybe around you, feel free to to use those. And then for those of you who really just want to read it like I'm reading it, it'll be on the screen. But let's do this. Because we came to meet with God and because God's going to speak now from his word, can we just stand in reverence for the king's words. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, it says, I kept looking until what? Some thrones or what? They were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with what, church? Ooh, man, his wheels were a burning fire. For some reason, Johnny Cash just went through my brain. I, I, you know, I just don't know why. Wayne, can you help me? Anyway, all right. But a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriad upon myriads were standing before him, and the court sat, and then read this next line with me, and the books were opened. And then I, I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beast... Hmm. Their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted them for an appointed period of time. (laughs) But then I kept looking in the night visions and behold. Notice these words with the clouds of heaven. One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, this one like the son of man, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Oh God, be pleased. Be pleased as we celebrate who you are, and who your son is. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here's what we learned last week. I don't know if you're paying attention to last week. If you weren't here last week, hey, no worries. You can go back and listen to that message. But here's a quick summary. Judgment comes as Christ is crowned because of his Father's flawless purity. So so when Christ is crowned, judgment is coming with that. Why? Why? That's the question. Why does that happen? Why does judgment come when Christ is crowned? Because... His father is flawless in his purity. We read verses 9 and 10 at this Ancient of Days. His vesture was white like snow. His head was pure wool. The throne was ablaze with flames and there was this burning fire and these thousands upon thousands were attending him. You see, God the Father, the Ancient of Days, is the judge. The courtroom is set, the books are open, and everyone who's never received Christ's forgiveness, everyone who is opposed to now Christ being the king and his kingdom being set up will be judged. But why? Why is this happening this way? Because the Father, the Ancient of Days, is flawless. He makes no mistakes because he does everything according to the books that were opened He's incredibly pure. He's incredibly holy. That's what the white signifies. He's the only one who is so pure, and so holy, and so sinless that all the heavenly hosts are there worshiping him. Because God the Father is the only one who can judge. So when Jesus says, set up his king, he's crowned. And when he's crowned, judgment comes because of his father's flawless purity. And then he said, this is how this is supposed to happen. Here's new material for you today. Number two, justice comes as Christ is crowned because of his father's faithful patience justice comes b- because of his father's faithful patience. Look in verse 11 and 12. He says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the saints, their dominion was taken away, but, but an extension of life was granted them for an appointed period of time. Now, we unpacked a lot of that in a previous sermon, so I'm just going to give it a real kind of a drive-by. But the little horn in verse 8 is still mouthing off as the vision now reverts back to him. This arrogant braggart is boasting and is framed. It's framed here, this boasting, by two God-focused poems, if you will. But then suddenly, just like kind of out of nowhere, this, this beast is just taken out. The beast is killed and his body is destroyed and given over to the burning fire. In other words, turn out the lights, It's over. And it's just that quick. It's just that simple. Again, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So if you want more information, go back and look at that message. But in contrast to the fourth beast, the others had their authority removed, but an extension of life was granted them for a certain period of time. So Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, even after losing their dominion, they continued to exist and live as a part of the kingdoms that conquered them. They were a shadow, yes, it's true, but they were still there, but in a much diminished sense. So God, listen, God was more patient and gracious with them as he had been with any of the other nations and kingdoms throughout history. But not so for the Roman Empire as it comes to its fullest and greatest expression with the little horn, the Antichrist. When God judges the little horn, the last remnant of the empire is going to be annihilated. So look down in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 7. Verse 26 says, but the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. This is what's going to happen to this beast. It's only right, because now this is justice. The beast, the Antichrist, will lie to the world and try to force people into submission, and he will kill people who will not submit. So now it's only fair that justice comes to him. Do you know what it's like when you watch the news and you see some miscarriage of justice? If you're like me, you get angry when there's like this criminal and you know he's guilty and all the evidence says he's guilty but there's this technicality that he gets off on. Do you like that? No, oh, you hate that. I hate that. There's just something within us that says there must be justice. And I'm telling you, with Jesus, there's always justice. So go back now to verse 7. Chapter 7, I'm sorry. You notice that the beast, the Antichrist, has, has been given dominion. If you noticed earlier, he was described as having huge iron teeth, devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling things under his feet. He's like this killing machine. Finally, he gets caught and he gets killed, and that's fair. And listen, say it the way that it, that really gets paraphrased where I'm from. The Antichrist gets thrown into the trash can of hell and it suits him fine. It's described by John in Revelation 19. The Bible says that the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did many mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted his mark and worshiped his statue. And both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the lake of fire. You see, Christ will be crowned. His kingdom will be set up. He will judge and destroy all his foes. But I want you to see this. I want you to see why it's happening like this. It's because of the Father's faithful patience. I mean, why has it taken God so long to now toward the end of the age finally bring justice? I mean, why hasn't God done it before now? Because 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But watch. But as patient towards you, why is he so patient? Because he's not willing for any to perish, but in his patience, he's giving time for people to come to repentance. Aren't you thankful for God's patience in your life? That's why justice seems to take a long time is because God says, if I punish the person that did something to you immediately, it wouldn't give them time to repent and they would be put into hell forever. God allows justice to take its sweet time because he's allowing for something. In Galatians 4.4, it says, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. At the right time, God and his patience took thousands of years to send the the Messiah. And then he's going to take probably, well, it's 2,000 more before he's going to send him back to bring justice. That's because God is so patient. Justice comes when Christ is crowned because of his father's faithful patience to allow people to repent before he brings justice. That leads me to say this. Judgment comes as Christ is crowned because of his Father's flawless purity. Justice comes as Christ is crowned because of his Father's faithful patience. But thirdly, Jesus comes (laughs) as the Christ who is crowned because of his Father's foreknown plan. Jesus now comes. As the Christ who is crowned because of his father's foreknown plan. In verse 13, the Bible says these words. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given what? Dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him as dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, in the vision of Daniel which is primarily focused on the Ancient of Days, comes in another person, another figure, one who is like a son of man. I believe from study and from other people away way smarter than me that this is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus applied this title, son of man, to himself. But see, Jesus is doing that, I believe, in a direct reference to Daniel's prophecy. I don't think it was some kind of accident that Jesus called himself the son of man. I think, in effect... What Jesus was saying to the nation of Israel is, I am the one whom of Daniel spoke. He called himself the son of man multiple times. That was his favorite designation for himself. And I believe every time he said it, he was saying to the Jewish people alive at the time he lived, he said, if you understood what Daniel was saying, you'd make the connection. I am the son of man who was brought then in that prophetic picture to the throne, to the ancient of days to receive the kingdom. And so I think Christ was purposely linking himself back to Daniel's prophecy. Let me tell you why, just for a minute. It's very interesting to me that Jesus uses this title. Now watch. He uses this title in reference to his second coming. You might not have ever noticed that. And that's the title that's used here for his second coming. When Jesus comes in his glory to to set up his kingdom. And when Jesus spoke of the second coming, he used this particular title, the Son of Man, regarding himself. I'll show you just a few places. In Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then repay every person according to his deeds. Now there, of course, he was referring, I believe, to the pre millennial of the transfiguration, but nonetheless... When he speaks of his coming, he speaks as the Son of Man. Matthew nineteen, twenty eight, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that if you follow me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man who will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, speaking of setting up his kingdom, when he comes back, he calls himself the Son of Man, Matthew twenty five, thirty-one. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Again. It's no accident that Jesus Christ, in speaking of his second coming, calls himself the Son of Man. Now listen, he didn't call himself in those, ty- in those seasons King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or some other term. He called himself the Son of Man, and I believe it was on purpose, because yet again, I'm contending that he was connecting himself with the prophecy back in Daniel to show, in fact, that he was a fulfillment of this prophecy in Daniel. Another key in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7 is in verse 13. It says that when Jesus, this son of man like figure comes, he comes with the clouds of heaven. And if you'll study the Old Testament, you'll find very quickly that when, when clouds appear, they're usually a symbol of deity. God is seen manifest in the clouds. Deity and clouds go together in the scripture. By the way, it's not only true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New. First Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. It's interesting. Revelation 1, 7 says it this way. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Acts 1, it says this, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. When Jesus ascended into heaven, they watched him go, and two angels appeared. And they're like, why are y'all looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken away from you shall come in a like manner that you saw him go. In other words, he's going to come just like he went. Well, how was he taken up? Well, The Bible tells us he was taken up in a cloud. I believe that's another indication that Jesus is the Son of Man, who's also the Son of God, other than God Himself and the second person of the Trinity. Matthew 24, 30 through 31, it says, When then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And when all the tribes of Israel mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He would send forth his angels with a great trumpet blast, and they would gather together his elect from the four winds, from one in the sky to the other. You see, with the angels and with the clouds, that's how the Son of Man comes. Now, if the Son of Man is Christ, then the Ancient of Days is God the Father. For it is God the Father who gives the kingdom to the Son of Man. In Revelation 4 and 5, it is God the Father sitting on the throne who holds in his hand the title deed to the earth. And it is the Son who comes and takes it from the Father. The Father gives the kingdom to His Son. And so we have God giving the kingdom to His Son, the great and glorious crowning of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes as the one who is crowned because this is the Father's foreknown plan. In case we haven't made it clear, let's just look at some some other things. Let's just look at a few other things. The second coming of Christ, when he comes as king, is dealt with 1,845 times in the Bible. You think God might have known about it. That means that, I don't think y'all tracking with me. That means that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible either mentions the second coming or Jesus' coming in the last days. One-fourth, Of one fifth of all scripture refers to it. Seven out of every ten chapters in the New Testament refer to Jesus coming again. For every one mention of his first coming, the second second coming is mentioned eight times. For every one time the atonement is mentioned, the second coming of Jesus is mentioned twice. You know why? Because Jesus is coming as the one who is crowned because of his father's foreknown plan, and he wrote it down in the book, and he told Daniel what to write so that you and I could know it too. Jesus personally referred to his second coming 21 times, and no less than 50 times in the Bible we're told to be ready for his coming. You see, I'm just trying to tell you, DC Talk said it best. People get ready because Jesus is coming. Now somebody might say, I can imagine in a crowd like this, especially if Wayne Tony is in the room, somebody might say, well, why, why is Jesus coming? Uh, somebody might ask, you know what, he, he came once. Why didn't Jesus just stick around? I mean, why did he have to come and then he have to go? I mean, we've been waiting like 2,000 years, and he ain't come back yet. So, so why didn't he just stay? Why, why did he come and then why did he go? Well, you know the answer to that. You just didn't know that you did. Because the first time he came, he came with a purpose, and that was to deal with sin. But the second time he comes, you know what he's going to do? He's coming to take over. He came to die on a cross the first time to take away our sin. And then he went back up into heaven to give people a chance to believe in what he did And that's why he's waited 2,000 years because it goes back to the judgment and justice because of God's patience. Now, aren't you you glad? Listen, church. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stick around and then just, just end this thing all in the first century? You wouldn't have been born and therefore you ain't going to heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about that. See, some of us are like, Jesus is taking too long. Whoa! (laughs) And whose opinion? We've got to be careful what we say sometimes. And understand that God in his forbearance, man, knew the plan according to the Father's known plan, but he knew that he wanted to save you. Aren't you thankful that God has waited because it includes us and of all our relatives and all those people that you love and you've been praying for for God to give them a chance to, to repent and come to Jesus. Aren't you thankful that he hasn't come yet but aren't you wanting him to come now? You can hold those two things all at one time, can't you? But when he come time, comes back the second time, it's going to be different than he came the first time. The first time he came to deal with sin, and the second time he's coming, I'm telling you, he's coming to set up his kingdom, and he's going to take over. He's going to take all the politicians, all the prime ministers, all the rulers that have ever ruled, and he's going to say, y'all come here just a minute. Let me show you how this thing's done. And he's going to reign and rule and ever. But it's all because of the Father's foreknown plan. It's all going to happen according to the book. Now watch. Judgment comes as Christ is crowned. Because of his father's flawless purity. When judgment comes, justice comes as Christ is crowned because of his father's faithful patience. And then see, it's Jesus who's coming as the one who is crowned because of his father's foreknown plan. Now, watch, this is how we get to this last point. Joy comes as Christ is crowned because of his father's forever provision. Joy comes. Look in verse 14. The Bible says that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his kingdom is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Then skip down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, But the saints of the highest one, that's us, will receive the kingdom. Ooh, that's good. And possess the kingdom for how long? Forever for all ages to come. Is that not something we're shouting about right there? See, not only has Jesus come to set up his kingdom, but he's going to give it to me and he's going to give it to you. That, that, and it'll never be taken away. I think that's going to be joyful Do you. I think that's something to get happy about. Why is this joyful? I, somebody I know, I get it, it happens almost every week. Somebody's going to say, Well, Pastor, the word joy ain't in that verse. Where do you get joy from? Folks, it's joyful because the event that stops all the wars, all the violence, all the miscarriages of justice, all the things that don't get judged, all that will come to an end when Jesus steps out on the scene and sets up his kingdom. And what a day of rejoicing that's going to be! We finally get the kingdom. Do you see it in there? It's there, you just didn't know to look for it. When judgment comes, justice comes. And when judgment and justice comes, it's because Jesus has come. And when Jesus comes, joy has to come. People have marched for peace. People have, have visualized world peace. People have give up the peace sign. People write peace songs. People even put peace bumper stickers on their peaceful cars. But the last time I checked, it ain't worked. As far as I know, peace is only going to come when the Prince of Peace comes. You see, in New York City, there's a building called the United Nations Building. If you've ever been there, as you enter the building, there's written over the door, over the portals of that building, a scripture from Isaiah chapter 2. Here's what's written there. In the United Nations, you'd think they've never heard of this, but it's there. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn to make war anymore. It won't happen because the United Nations comes together. It's going to happen when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. And that's what's going to happen. That's why there's going to be joy because judgment's coming. Justice is coming because Jesus is coming. And then joy is coming. That's predicted. Jesus said in the parable about the rewards, if you remember, in Matthew 25, 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now what? Now enter into the joy of your master, Jude. Somebody wanted to say what chapter? It only has one. Jude verse 24. It says this, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with what? Great joy. In Revelation chapter 21, the Bible describes heaven as saying God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain. Isn't it interesting that God has to describe heaven in the negatives to tell people what it's going to be like? Because this is all we know. But there's going to be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death. And John is saying that's not going to happen when Jesus comes back. That's a reason for joy. I don't know if you heard that great hymn, "How Great Thou Art." You remember that song, "How Great Thou Art." Do y'all remember that? Well, I want you to I want you to kind of go with me here. When Christ shall come, we shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my... Yeah, you see, y'all sing that like y'all ain't happy. Y'all said that wasn't us, that was the leader. Man, we even sing about it. You didn't even know, man, when Christ shall come. What joy shall fill my heart. You see, when Jesus comes and sets up the kingdom, those of us who've trusted him for our salvation, we're going to possess the kingdom, and you and I are going to get to do some stuff, y'all. This is cool. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Mm, That's good. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 says, says something crazy. Revelation chapter 5 says this, it's awesome. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You know what we're going to get to do? We're going to get to work out the kingdom, y'all. We will be a kingdom of priests. So now maybe you know why I told you this morning. It was interesting to me. That's how God started my morning. God said, this is what priests do. Priests represent people to God. And they represent God to the people. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven? When every day. You get to represent God to me, and I get to represent God to you. And it'll be that way forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We will be a kingdom of priests unto our God. Always, always making him known. We're going to get to do that forever, y'all. That's cool. Jesus says down there in verse 27, I don't know if you checked it out in Daniel chapter 7. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole earth will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Did did y'all hear that? The sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven. Did y'all hear that? All that will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. We are going to receive a kingdom. This is crazy. But don't misinterpret like some of our Mormon cultists do. We're not going to be given a kingdom. We're going to be given the kingdom. It's the kingdom of Jesus. We don't get our own. We get the one that he gives, which is his. And so I'm asking you to look ahead. That means you have to look ahead in the future, and you're going to see the tribulation, and I know that freaks you out. There's some painful things coming. We might be seeing perhaps that we're entering into that pre-time now. I don't even know. I, I, I can't predict that kind of stuff. I just see some signs out there that it could be coming soon. I just know this. No matter what your end times theology is, no matter what your end time view of the world is, a lot of people say, well, we're going to be raptured out before the tribulation. Some people say the tribulation is going to happen at the midpoint. We're going to get taken out. Some people say we're going to have to go through the tribulation and then we're going to get taken out at the end. I don't care what your view is. You better be ready to be wrong. And so if you think, which I lean this way, I lean toward a pre-rapture. But I'm living as if I got to go through it. So, so I just want you to understand, you might have to face that. But, but check this, I want you to look beyond that. To the end, at the coming of Christ, where well, that means finally the pain all ends. And I think the secret to live our temporal life is to live our eyes with our eyes focused on the next one. As one missionary prayed, as I read through his journals, he said, God, stamp eternity on my eyes. C.S. Lewis, the great scholar, said, if I find within myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So I'm asking you this morning, have you ever wondered why you have that anxiety? Wonder why you're wrestling here on this planet that you're just never satisfied with what this place can give to you? It's because you were created for somewhere else. You were made to be a part of the kingdom. So that's why the joy comes because the father's forever provision of his kingdom. Last week, I talked about Daniel 7, kind of like going to a parade. Y'all remember that? Now, If you don't remember that, I'm, I'm presuming on you, and I'm sorry. Go back and listen. But if you get to the parade down here in LaGrange, if you, you go to the parade at all, whenever I parade, and you get there a little late, and you miss something, you can always run ahead of where you are, and you can see what you've missed. Well, if you get to the parade and you find out that what you want to see hasn't come yet, you can just run to the back and see it before you see it. I'm headed somewhere. Y'all know it. (laughs) But if you want to see the whole thing, you just get up in a helicopter and you can see the end from the beginning before it even started. Daniel 7 is your helicopter ride about what's coming. And then, if you get bogged down in the details, you just keep reading the book. You read a little bit further in the book, and you can see what you missed. You read a little bit further back in the book, you can see what's coming. But if you keep Daniel 7 open, you're going to get the helicopter ride. And I'm trying to tell you, we ain't missed King Jesus coming. He's coming. He's in the back of the parade, but he's coming. And Daniel looks and says, the king is on his way. You want to see him, just go back to Daniel 7, and you'll see him. Fair judgment is coming, so hang on. True justice is coming. Wrongs are really going to be made right. That justice you thought was taking too long is on its way. And the permanent solution to the injustices of this world in your life will come. Judgment and justice are coming because Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, joy comes in the morning. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Would my team make their way? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just out a moment of respect for those who are meeting with God. Beloved, if you're within the sound of my voice, I can't tell you when Jesus is coming. I can just tell you that he's coming. And you want to be on this side of that. If your name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life, you will experience the judgment that God has promised. God doesn't want to judge you. God is loving and gracious and desires that you would turn to his son, the provision that he's made so that he wouldn't have to judge you. And in his great love, he's been working in your heart up to this moment to bring you to that understanding. So now it's in these moments like this that I want to give you the opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Jesus. Saying, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, if you're in this room today, all you need to do is just go to God and tell Him that you know that you have sinned against Him, that you deserve His judgment, that you believe that Jesus died to pay for you your sin and that He took your judgment and you want Jesus to forgive you and you want Him to come and rule your life. It's that simple, but it's that hard. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then if that's you, I want you just to step out of that seat and just come down and grab one of us by the hand and say, I need, I need Jesus. And we'll introduce you to Jesus. We'll give you that opportunity. Or maybe there'll be something else that you want to pray about. Maybe something else going on in your life you just want us to pray over you and for you and with you. You can come out then. This altar will be open. You don't even have to come grab us by the hand. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us a greater glimpse of Jesus. Whatever it is you're calling us to trust you for, that we would obey. And I pray it in Jesus' name.